Hi, I'm Terry O'Reilly, founder of OBP Australia, a service for overseas-born professionals looking to either get their first job in Australia or advance their career once they're established in their profession. Welcome to the podcast. Each episode, I'll be talking to an ex-OBP Australia client who's been successful in finding employment in Australia. We'll get to hear about their journey and what advice they have for job seekers. Mohit grew up in Mumbai, India, where there's a strong cricket culture. He left a rewarding IT job in 2017 to pursue a career in sports and enrolled in the Masters in Sports Management from Deakin University to develop his skills and create a career path in sports. He made his career change because he felt as though he'd hit a brick wall and did not see himself working in the IT industry any longer. I first met Mohit at the end of 2020, when he had already been highly active in the Melbourne sports scene, but was looking to consolidate his experience and take that next step. His journey has had many highlights, and he is currently working in state government as a project support officer in recreation, sport and racing. Mohit is an avid reader and posts frequently on LinkedIn, encouraging those who are seeking self-improvement and career development, and is an inspiration to many. Mohit, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you so much, Terry. Uh, it's great being here. Thank you. Excellent. Now, we first met in December 2020, I think, uh, but you arrived in 2018 to start your master's in business sport management. Is that right? Yep, that's correct. So take yourself back to when you first arrived in Australia as a student. Tell us about those first few weeks and months. Uh, I actually need to like go back a little bit. I would sure. start from, I actually did my bachelor's in computer science. And then I actually did research a few universities uh, in US and in Australia. And I was very eager to do uh, sports management because that's what I was really passionate about. But then I actually, I was like, since I've already done a bachelor's in computer science, why not just to work in the same field? Why to risk it all by working in sports? Uh, and then I worked for three years and then I found myself backed up against a wall. And I was like, I don't see myself doing this for the next 10, 15 or 20 years. And I felt that I was 24 at that time. And I actually did have a friend uh, in Manly, which is in Sydney. And he was actually coaching soccer at a professional level. And he told me that if you want to come to Australia, this would be the right time. Since like, you're not too old, you're not too young, you have a bit of experience, you already have a bachelor's. So why not come here and do a master's? And that is what I decided. And uh, to do my master's, uh, it's actually pretty, I did a very basic thing. The first thing that I did was I Googled, I Googled as what are the best universities in the world right now for sports management. And a lot of universities came up and I just saw that to go to other universities in the world, you have to either learn the language that is necessary to speak in that country, or you need to give additional exams. For example, in the US, you need to um, you need to give GRE or GMAT, and plus you also need to pass an English test. But in Australia, it was like, you have to just submit your statement of purpose and you have to give uh, an English test. So I thought that it's much better to go to uh, Australia. And 
when I actually Googled it also came up that Melbourne is like the sports hub of Australia, where you have these big events like the Australian Grand Prix, uh, Australian Tennis Open, uh, Australian Open, sorry. Uh, then you have these big cricketing events at the MCG. And I also heard about AFL, uh, which is pretty huge, uh, especially in uh, Victoria. And that's how I came here. So you've had a, a bachelor in IT. That movement yep. away from IT to sport management, that's a big decision. Yeah? Yep, it's a big decision. It's like, uh, it's like when you are no longer able to uh, change the situation, you're challenged to change yourself. And that is what I did. And it's like you have to be you had to be in my shoe in 2017 to understand what I was going through. And that is what really made me, you know, make that change. And after I came to Australia, I understood that maybe I did not like the workplace culture back in India. I wanted uh, more freedom and more independence, which I finally got it over here. Having a background in IT, though, that surely must help in your job because I'm guessing most people don't have that, certainly not at the depth that you would have having done a bachelor. A hundred percent. And to combine that, uh, I also actually worked at a startup back in Mumbai in India, and that really helped me, that really humbled me because that is where I learned that you are not too big to do anything small. So like... For example, I we like I I also had the responsibility to even clean servers. It was like a job that you usually don't have to do in these big companies. For example, if you get a job in the big in one of the big four companies, you do not you will never get a chance to clean the servers and open a server and look at it uh, internally. Like the hardware, you'll never be able to see it. But at this company, I got to do everything. I had to learn everything. In the start, I was a bit reluctant, but Going forward, I realized that re this really humbled me as a person, and it also gave me a lot of technical knowledge. Well, we'll come back to your work in more detail in a moment. But so you've arrived in Australia, you've had a, a slight, a, a major shift in your direction in your career from IT to sport management. You had one person here that you knew, but you, he was in Sydney. You arrived in Melbourne. Did you know anybody else here? Uh, I did not know anybody else over here. Uh, actually, I used LinkedIn uh, for a lot of things. And that is when I understood how powerful LinkedIn is. So I just did like a search on LinkedIn, which said that uh, sports management. And then I used to put the location as Melbourne, the university as Deakin University. And I used to look at other migrants who've uh, done the same course. And I used to just send them like this message that I just want to uh, understand about sports management in Melbourne. And if you have some free time or if you're available to talk, uh, let's chat. Great. The sports management masters is a two year course. That's right. Yep. That's correct. And I noticed that in your resume, you have a lot of voluntary work and associations with, with the sporting clubs and associations in Melbourne. How did that come about? Were they, formalized internships through the university or did you do that off your own bat? Uh, I actually, again, I just uh, from my previous, from the previous answer, I would say that I used LinkedIn and I actually spoke to a lot of people and that is what they told me. They told me that for the two years you're going to be at university, 
just put your head down and try to get as much exposure as possible and try to learn the sporting landscape in australia uh, you would have friends you would have colleagues you would have other people who would be like doing other types of jobs and uh, making a lot of money but after 2 years you would be like way ahead of the curve and you would have a lot of advantage over other people and they also told me to learn about a uh, cold messaging cold emails cold calling and that is how i was able to actually land my first uh, volunteering role uh, so i'm i'm a big fan of football uh, club of barcelona and i saw that they had a few coaches come here in melbourne and i just sent them a message on their facebook uh, page which said that i'm i'm a big fan uh, and i would just love to have a look uh, at how things work at your soccer club and i'm very happy to volunteer so it was like a 2 to 3 day uh, winter camp uh, for uh, children and they said that are uh, no problem uh, come and come along and have a look at how things work over here yes yeah, so you graduated as a fairly experienced professional by the time you had done all of these uh, work unpaid work placements what about your first paid work how did that come about or uh, do you mean my first paid work in sport Yeah, I should say that. Yeah, no. Let's let's leave the survival jobs if you've had those for the moment. <laughs> um, the first paid work that you got in the sports industry. Oh, uh, surprise! It's not a surprise. I did get it from the same uh, academy, Barcelona Academy of Barcelona, because uh, I met a coach over there, and he was like, "Ah, oh, you are volunteering here. What made you volunteer?" So I just told him that I'm very interested to learn about sports in Melbourne, and. Um, uh he said that uh there is this club called uh, ashburton soccer club in ashburton and uh, we are looking out for coaches if you are interested why don't you come down and have a chat with our technical director i'll let him know that you are keen on uh, doing some coaching and i was like that sounds awesome and so i i went to their club i met with their technical director and the technical director turned out to be someone uh, who is from france and he had loads of experience working with children and um, he he literally became my mentor after uh, a couple of weeks and he taught me everything that is there uh, with respect to soccer coaching in melbourne uh, with respect to children and he like he also like he also uh, gave me a lot of like information regarding uh, how sports works in melbourne he was in melbourne for like 2 to 3 years and literally my first volunteering uh, gig gave me my first paid role <laughs> that's a, a great extension from volunteer to to paid work and so you were there for how long in a paid capacity uh so that was like uh, so it's coaching so it was like 3 days a week and um, to support myself i made sure that i was i was doing other uh, jobs for my survival for my rent for my food expenses but i made sure that uh, i did my coaching uh, with 100% dedication and 100% commitment because i knew that um what i'm going to do now is going to like compound into something very very big in the next couple of years and uh, so for the first year uh, while studying at uni i actually worked with a club and for my second year i just told my i just told the club i was working at that i need uh, i need a i need a different challenge so i went and i started working at a school as a coach did you play soccer in india oh i did play soccer in india uh, i did play soccer in mumbai and in mumbai 
so it is it's very very different to australia where in australia sport is like something that's done on the weekend uh, because i feel that there are australia has a lot of facilities and a lot a lot uh, a lot of infrastructure that is much much more uh, developed than india and in india i had to literally travel like 20 to 25 kilometers after work just to you know train and then by the time i used to come back home uh, at night it used to be around 12. right and after that first paid role as a soccer coach what was the next step uh, so that uh, working as a soccer coach gave me a lot of confidence and it also i also started understanding uh, the structure of sport in melbourne um, the different sorts of hierarchy what what ranks the highest what ranks the lowest like the a league stands at the top then below that you have npl clubs and then i was i just saw an advertisement which said that they needed a business administrator and that was an internship opportunity with an npl club called uh, South Melbourne uh, Football Club uh, in South Melbourne. So that was my first uh, opportunity uh, to be an intern. Right. And that was a valuable experience? Uh, it was It was a very valuable experience because working over there, like we had to do a lot of things. Uh, so I learned about social media. Uh, I spoke to different coaches. Um, then I had to learn about day-to-day -day administrative tasks uh, we also like did a lot of uh, event management so it was a really great experience let's go to the present day and, and tell us a little bit about your job that you're doing now so right now i'm working with the government uh, of south australia you can say that it is their sports department uh, the office for recreation uh, sport and racing so i work as a project support officer over there uh, and i would say that uh, compared to my previous job in Melbourne, this job is like you can say that it is in the it is in a grey area where a lot of thinking is involved. And since we are like, since uh, we are the government and I work for the government, it is like we cannot implement or develop anything, but we can just encourage or promote other clubs, state sporting organisations, and national sporting organisations to. Uh, do something creative, do something innovative, do something different, increase participation, etc. So is it an office-based role or do you go out to the field, out to clubs? Uh, I would say that 80% it is an office-based role and 20% is like uh, we usually go out for workshops, information sessions. Just uh, a couple of months ago, uh, I had a colleague who... Uh, implemented and developed develop, developed uh, a regional uh, workshop kind of a thing where we go to the regions in South Australia and talk to local clubs to understand how we can cater for them too. So if you had to explain to somebody what the key skills were for this role, what would you say is really important to have? Uh, I would say that number one would be uh, critical thinking, number two would be strategy, and number three would be communication. And I, I say communication because um, uh, I'm not a native to this country, and I had to learn the way to talk, uh, I had to learn the way to write, and when I was in Melbourne, that was like a different kind of talking, different kind of writing, and over here, since I'm working with government, it is a people write differently, and people also talk differently. It's like much more professional over here. 
And have you got somebody guiding you? Do you have a mentor or do you, your manager help in that regard? Uh, I actually was, I, I'm actually very lucky that uh, wherever I worked, I've always had like great mentors. Even when I worked back in India in the startup, in a startup, uh, I had really great bosses. Uh, then when I was in, I was in Melbourne working with Just Play, I would say that the founder, uh, David Argyle, he himself was a mentor to me and he like really helped me do some uh, through some tough times during COVID. Um, personal, there were a lot of things that were really personal and he helped me through them. And uh, you could say that literally uh, when I interviewed for my current role with the government of South Australia, uh, the conversation that I had with my manager, it was like, uh, I really love that conversation because he was, he was someone who paid great attention to detail and he asked me questions that were in my resume and no one else had asked me those questions, but he made a point to ask me those questions and I really loved that he paid attention and I was like, now I look at him as someone who I want to work for now. And um, it was really great knowing that and I would say that to this day, eight months into this role, um, I do see him as, as a great mentor. He's an amazing person and a great mentor. That's really good to hear. And in your current role, what are you doing in relation to professional development? Are, are there formal procedures for this? Are you upskilling in any area or is it left to your own device? Uh, I would say it is a mixture of everything. So say, for example, if I'm interested in a course and if it falls in the, in, in the budget of uh, what I'm allocated, then um, then I can do that course. So say, for example, if there's a course that costs like $700 or $800, and if I can prove that uh, that is going to help me with my professional develop and development and which in turn is going to uh, help uh, the office, then uh, I can do that course. Uh, number two would be that, uh, so just, I guess, three months ago, uh, the my office actually started a career development sprint team. And you had to like, uh, you had to send an application and say that why do you want to be a part of this team and this team was this team is actually uh, making sure that they promote and uh, engage people in career development because many people do not know the importance of it and number three would be that i've just um, i've just enrolled myself in a mentor program so the department of the premier and cabinet in south australia they've just started this mentor program literally a couple of weeks ago and I've enrolled myself in that so that um, I'm already working on my personal growth by reading books, by writing, by speaking to people on LinkedIn. Uh, but I thought that this mentor program would be a good or uh, a great way for me to uh, understand about the uh, professional space in uh, South Australia. Well, that's a good segue into my next question is because you're quite active on LinkedIn and you're an avid reader. Tell us a little bit about that part of your life. Uh, so I could say that LinkedIn was a lot, was a thing that was really on and off for me. I did not really understand how to use it, uh, how to make, uh, how to take advantage of it. I had no clue because I used it to come to Australia and then I stopped using it. And then when I wanted a job, I again started using it. It was, it was like, I was trying to manipulate, uh, LinkedIn to how I wanted it to behave. And I don't think it works that way. Uh, so it was just that last year during um, last year when I was in Melbourne, we had a lot of lockdowns and that is the time I realized that, you know, anything can happen in the future. And um, uh, I do not want to, I do not want to write 
resumes and cover letters always because I know that how much time it takes and sometimes uh, just because of resumes and cover letters and networking opportunities you you might or not get get a job so I thought that probably uh, I need like a personal brand of a thing where and I thought that LinkedIn would be a good place to you know I can call LinkedIn my portfolio and that is when I thought that last year I should start last year I decided that I would start writing but uh, I was I was really scared that people would judge me based on my writing and I, I just went against it but then uh, then I decided that I would continue reading books I would continue writing and while I was doing that I was like I've already written like 40 to 50 pages of uh, content why not just post it on LinkedIn and you know let the let the world judge and let the let the world think whatever it wants to think I'm just going to keep posting and that is how it really started it it's it's a really uh, scrappy uh, kind of uh, story, but it is what it is. Well, your posts are very impressive, and you're laying a strong foundation for future contacts, as you said before. But e even the writing, the process of writing and getting your thoughts out there, and and being a, an avid reader, how, how is this contributing to a sort of richer life, I guess, and and more than just career development? I see it. Uh, so I, I look at I look at professional development as a subset of personal growth. I feel that everything is all about personal growth. If I'm able to manage myself, then I think so I would be I would be able I would be in a better position to manage others. And that is how I started on this journey of personal growth. And then by reading books, I understood that all the great leaders, entrepreneurs, successful people in the world they always talk about paying it forward. Like you need to like give before you take. And that is how I started with my writing on LinkedIn. Uh, so uh, I just started writing on LinkedIn three months ago, but I've been doing this with my friends, with my family, uh, with my wife. Like I've been doing this for the past two years now. I just, I just keep, I just talk to them about personal growth. I just help them out however they want me to. And actually, it is they who told me that, why don't you go ahead and start writing? You need to start talking and start networking with strangers so that probably, probably you can uh, create some sort of passive income from this. But uh, to create some sort of passive income, I understand that you have to pay it forward. And it might take two years, five years, or even maybe 10 years. But I just need to be consistent. That is what I understood from all the books I've read. That's really good advice. Uh Towards the end of this chat, we'll I'll get you to uh, maybe list three of your favorite books that you could re recommend to somebody who. Ooh, that's um, difficult. Yeah, so ha have a little bit of think about it, and maybe a five or ten minutes. You can. Uh, it doesn't have to be the best, but just three that come to mind, perhaps, and uh, we'll talk about those, and you can recommend them to other people as well. Now, just going backwards a little, back to your workplace. How would you describe the Australian workplace culture? at least in the jobs that you've had, and how does it compare to working in India? Now, it's a little bit different because you're operating in different industries, coming from IT to sport management, but are there any things that you would like to share in that regard? Um, I would just like to say that I was, I was very, very open-minded as far as uh, work culture is concerned, and I was like open to anything that came my way. Uh, I would say that uh, I would talk about Australia and I would say that Australia actually works, uh, the Australian work culture works actually 
the foundation of the Austrian work culture is uh, independence, freedom, and a challenge. Uh, and in India, it is very different because I feel that in India, like uh, we look at we look at people who are elder to us as someone as people who have authority over us. But I guess in Australia, it doesn't work that way. Like I can call you Terry over here in Australia, and that is normal. But in India, I can't call you Terry because you are someone who's elder to me. So that was one transition that I found to be a bit difficult. But now I find it really easy. And in India, I would say that someone, uh, the higher ups, as in, for example, senior managers, vice presidents, CEOs, they are not so easily accessible. You have to like, uh, the only way to meet them is to get is by getting promoted. But in Australia, it's like you can just knock on their door or just walk into their office and just say hi to them, like, hi, uh, X, Y, Z, how are you doing? How was your weekend? So I would say that it is, um, and even in Australia, it is much more courteous than in, uh, than in India. And um, I do not have like a single word to uh, explain the difference, but this is what I've noticed uh, as far as uh, work culture is concerned. I, that's interesting. I still get frequently people calling me Mr. Terry. Um, yeah. So I have to put them straight for the Australian context. But but it's a nice that you don't have to think about how you defer to somebody who's higher in the in the chain than you because everybody just calls people by their first name. So that, that's an easy one to remember. What about fitting in at work? Um, some people talk about, you know, it's hard to get into conversations because you're not familiar with conversation topics you didn't grow up here how, how have you managed to fit in at work and what do people talk about i guess the most important uh, thing is that whenever you're interviewing uh, they always ask you a question in the end which uh, where they say that or do you have any questions i think so that is the single most important question during the interview is because it's during that time that you can ask two or three questions and you will be able to understand the work culture because there are questions say for example uh, i usually ask them that who would be my mentor and how would i be mentored in this role and if they hesitate or if they're reluctant then i don't feel like joining that organization because if you're not sure as to how you would help me develop then i don't think so i want to be a part of that organization but if they are able to like explain it really really well to me then i'm like oh this is an organization that is going to accept me and that is going to like help me grow and you can also judge they are uh, judge is the wrong word you can also like look at their answers and you can see for yourself that as to how they've hired other people if it makes sense right so that's from the outside looking in in an interview situation where you haven't actually been part of the workplace what about when you actually have a job, you're in the job, uh, it's lunchtime, people are having a chat, what do people talk about at work that's not work-related? Um, they usually, obviously, they talk about uh, Australian pop culture, they talk about movies, they talk about other stuff, but they all, always make sure that I'm included. They, they will always ask me that, how does this work in India or what have you got for lunch? Um, so I've seen that Australians... Uh, do not share their lunch. They are like, they just sit down and have their own lunch, which was a bit weird to me in the start because in India, we are like, we just uh, open our lunch boxes and we just share and we just eat from each other's lunch boxes. But over here, it was like very different. And I was like, why aren't you all eating? Because 
like no one no one had an answer to that so i made sure that uh, we usually sit down and eat lunch together even even uh, as far as eating lunch together is concerned i've seen that people over here they would just get up from their desk and go and have their lunch and come back but i should tell them that why not have let's have lunch together cuz that would be like a good bonding session and that would be like a good way to you know uh, get a feel of togetherness yeah that's an interesting observation the the whole sharing or keeping your lunch to yourself uh yep. quite different ac- across cultures what about the language in the workplace i mean your your english is amazing uh i'm sure it hasn't been an issue but was there anything that you would advise people on regarding what sort of language is used in the workplace uh for so for thank you like i was i was really fascinated by the english language uh, and even as a child i made sure that you know i used to read comics i used to like um, i actually owe it a lot to my parents because my parents made sure that i started talking english right from school uh, my dad my dad he's like he he talks only in english to me like he used to always talk to me in english so that he knew that this is like an international language and this would like be very advantageous to me in the future and he ensured that he just spoke to me in english and i remember i remember watching a lot of english movies with him i remember uh, reading a lot of uh, english books with him in general and um, <clears throat> oh sorry what was the question there yeah, i forgot uh just about about language did you have any advice for people who are coming into the australian workplace um any tips or anything that you find would be useful uh i haven't given anyone any tips but i've heard tips from people which where they say that watch movies without subtitles uh read books but i would say that the best thing is to you know um apply whatever your uh, whatever advice you get start applying it as soon as possible and then think for yourself like think independently if that is working or not um because i think the best way is to just talk to australians uh, i would say that working in events is a very good uh, thing to do because when you're in events and you walk up to people and you talk to them it's not that weird because you're working over there and you're just asking them a question like uh, hi can i help you with something or hi how are you doing so like you get to talk to people and uh, even now people do have trouble understanding me uh, with a few words here and there but um, i think so people are really accepting over their people are really courteous they understand that that uh, diversity is important and it's it's a very inclusive uh, place yeah that's good advice i think getting out and using the language is important um watching tv and so on it can only go so far language is about communication after all and you get to meet people with you know a variety of englishes there are many englishes in australia as you've come across i'm sure there's not yep. one english that everybody speaks so yeah that that's really uh positive and good advice there so just winding up now mohit what advice do you have for job seekers either about to come to australia or who've just recently arrived uh, i would say that do a lot of research because uh, i i learned it the hard way that uh, if if i want to continue working in sport i can't like live in live and work in melbourne i have to like leave the state and um, that's why i had to come to south australia so that i could uh, settle permanently for a number of years so i would say that do your research on migration and the course that can uh, you know allow you to stay in the country uh, because for some people their course their occupation is really important but for other people it's just that 
they love this lifestyle they they love the standard of living and they want to continue living in this country so depending on what you want just do your research because that is really important and by research i mean that start with a simple google search then go to university websites go um go to australia's uh, go to the immigration website have a look at different occupations and then in the end or uh, talk to people uh, and then then make your own decision right and finally as i gave you a little bit of a warning before can you um tell us some books that you could recommend for people to read okay so uh, number one my favorite is uh, 12 rules for life i've read that book like three times this is jordan so peterson first, one is it jordan peterson yep. yeah so the first time i read it i did not understand anything but i knew that this guy is going somewhere with this book cuz the conclusion he so he has a conclusion after every chapter and the conclusion made sense it was like wow i'm really loving this but i'm not able to understand the rest of the rest of the i'm not able to understand whatever is written before that but when i read it the second time it started making sense and then i made sure that i listen to his videos on youtube then i saw what he talks about on his podcast and then everything started to make sense and i guess that he's a very controversial figure but i always tell people that try to separate uh, the art and the artist because if you try to uh, combine them both then you won't be able to learn anything and if even if you're reading if you read a sentence in a book then just think for yourself that do you see yourself living this sentence do you see yourself applying it do you see yourself um, just think independently for yourself and uh, just be careful uh, so just for those second. just just on that just for those people who don't know jordan peterson is um a social psychologist, psychologist yep uh yeah. from uh university of ontario i think or toronto toronto i think in canada toronto, yeah yep yeah yep. um and as you said quite controversial but a uh, huge profile on the internet and worth uh following up on yep another one uh, i would say second would be um think and grow rich because when i read that book for the first time you can probably say that i read it halfway and i and i told myself that this guy doesn't know anything what is he writing i don't think so any of this works but then i actually i actually literally read 15 to 20 books and i've seen that so many books use think and grow rich as their source like their main book to explain so many things and then i had to come back to the book and after reading 15 to 20 books i was able to literally understand what napoleon hill was trying to say in his book and the best part about this book was that book is that he is actually uh, spoken and so again this is like a controversy this is like people say that it's like a conspiracy that napoleon hill never did this but when you start applying the principles mentioned in his book you will start seeing changes in your life like just give it a year or two and you will start seeing the changes in your life itself and so he's researched like 500 wealthy people and in total he researched around like 20000 people over a span of 25 years and then then he's gone ahead and written this 400 page book so i think that this is a must read uh, for people and number 3 would be sapiens uh, i really love the book sapiens because it gives you like a brief understanding of the history of mankind so if i say that i usually tell people that if you want to understand the present you have to learn about the past and if you want to do better in the future you have to learn about the past and the present 
So that is why I feel that the book Sapiens is very, very important because it's like an anthropological book, but there are so many facts and figures in the book that you just can't ignore. And the author, Yuval Noah Harari, he's like, he's, he's just amazing. I, I even listened to his TED talk. So I always ensure that I read the book and I listen, if, if I get a chance to listen to the author on a podcast, then it becomes like really easy for me to visualize what the author is talking about. That's great. Now I'll, I'll make a list of those and put them in the notes. So if people want to follow up on those books, they can. Thank you very much for joining us today, Mohit. It's been great talking to you. And I'll continue to uh, read your posts and look forward to more and more writing on LinkedIn and wish you all the best in your career from this point. And I'm sure we'll talk more in the future. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much, Sherry. It was an honor being here. And once again, thank you for all your, all your help with my resumes and cover letters. Anytime. OBP Australia provides guidance and support with job applications and approaching employers, industry awareness, interview coaching, and language and communication. You'll also be introduced to your professional peers already working in Australia, so you can get the lowdown on what's happening in your industry or profession. If you're looking for guidance and support to find your next job, email me at terry at obpaustralia.com.au. Let's talk.